You know, for the last several months, we've been studying the book of Genesis. And we get to moments in time where Genesis causes us to pause, like with the character of Joseph. Now, in the month of October, we're going to continue. It just seems like God is directing us to continue into the book of Exodus. But when you start Exodus, if you do not know Joseph, you cannot really understand the perspective of Exodus because it begins by saying there was a Pharaoh that arose that knew not Joseph. So he seems to be this pivotal character that kind of transitions uh, God's people from the Genesis to the Exodus. And when you have an opportunity, if you haven't, if you missed last Sunday, go to the podcast and listen to Amy teach the second part of Joseph. She did an incredible job. And it gives me an opportunity to start because what she was comparing is we we are noticing that Joseph has this Old Testament similarity to the New Testament Jesus. We, We saw in the first lesson, we saw five similarities. The last was him being sold for silver. Um, just in the first sermon. And then Amy took part two and she compared the temptation of Joseph and the temptation of Jesus. And all of a sudden we, we get to this moment and, and I want you to recall some of the things that she said. Sometimes we have to do the right thing, not because we get rewarded for it, but just simply that it is the right thing. See, the Bible would really be incredibly um, encouraging at this moment if I could tell you that the story happened this way. There was an opportunity for him to have an affair. He chose not to do it to remain righteous. And in remaining righteous, he did not have to go to prison. But that's not the story. Do you realize that he did the right thing and still had to not just go to prison, had to spend 12 years in prison? Now, here's some of the backstory that you're not going to really get, and I'm going to do this rapidly, is that sometimes when we think that we are wronged, we need vindication. But do you know that God did not ever declare Joseph's innocence in his lifetime? Moses didn't write the book of Genesis till he was dead. See, a lot of times we want to do something and when people falsely accuse us, we want God to split uh, the skies wide open and write on the clouds that David Pleasant didn't do this or has been falsely accused. And I'm just assuming that you like that to be vindicated as well. Amen? But sometimes you got to do the right thing even when it costs you difficulties and challenges, not because it is going to reward you, but because it's simply the right thing and you've got to be strong enough and courageous enough to stand in a position of righteousness and allow the chips to fall where they may because when you find that the dust settles, the power of a sovereign God will reveal His glory through you if you stand in that position of obedience. Amen? That's where we're going to pick up the story of Joseph. See, Joseph did not experience a temporary inconvenience for his righteous stance. Joseph experienced 12 years of prison and prison life. 
But in the midst of this prison, uh, Amy mentioned it last week and I'm going to reiterate it this week, is there starts to emerge a principle about God and about Joseph that even in the midst of prison, it seemed like God took this dreamer and started connecting him to people that was going to perpetuate the dream even in difficult circumstances. And you can praise the Lord for the encouragement of this. People may not go to prison with you. And they certainly will not get in a pit with you most of the time. But God will always get in both of those positions, not only with you, but He will be the support for you in the midst of a pit. Amen? Because it seems like no matter if he's in slavery, the people that God has directed his life to connect with seem to be secure leaders. Don't trust your dream to insecure leaders because insecure leaders will try to keep you below their ceiling. Because they want to feel vindicated themselves and they may not be secure in their own call. So what they do is they will have to diminish others so they can remain on top. But Joseph's dream was trusted even by the sovereign hand of God to people that noticed that the favor of God was on him and would entrust him. You're talking about a set in Potiphar's house, a 17-year-old slave that was new to the administration, but it didn't take long for Potiphar to realize the hand of God is upon him. And he literally, the scripture says, he gave everything in his household over to the authority of Joseph because of the favor of God that was on him. Amen? And we find here in prison the same thing. We find out that the jailer, this guy is now almost 29 years old. And, and, and the first time we read about him in chapter 40, he is 38 years old. And now he spent 10 years in prison and he's now in charge of everything concerning this prison. Because when you have an opportunity to mentor or lead someone coming from behind you in another generation, like we got the witness today of a, a church that is multi-generational with the holding of infants and small children and dedication, what you have to understand is if you ever get in a position of mentorship, listen to these wise words. Don't grab the golden ring of success. Grab the golden ring of significance. Because if you get significant, successful will follow. But sometimes if you grab and are deceived by the golden ring of success, it only connects to you and you're the only one that becomes successful. See, back when I was in my 20s and early 30s, I had some, some messed up thought processes of reaching for the ring of success. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to be successful. It means choose wisely and success will make, make room for itself. And so I was reaching for the ring of success and I remember going into uh, the denomination we were a part of. We had this place in central Florida where we had a tabernacle where we gathered together as a denomination each year for camp meeting. And I remember the first time that I was going to be able to speak at camp meeting, I was going to be able to preach, and I went and bought a new suit. I went, matter of fact, me and Michelle ate in Brandon where I bought the new suit on our way home this week. And I said, remember when I went and bought that new suit and I had that new suit and I looked good in it. I was young, fit. <laughs> There's no way you can recover from that. <laughs> and I remember going early when there wasn't hardly anybody there and I walked up on that stage thinking I should find a sense of success. 
And I thought to myself, I'm finally going to, people are going to see the gift that God has placed within me. And I'm finally going to get to preach to all of my peers. And God said, you know that's make-believe, right? And I said, what you talking about, make-believe? They're real people. He said, yeah, but when you get through with your sermon, you don't belong here. you got to go be a, a pastor at a local church. And when you get back home and you go into the hospital room 304 on the third floor of your local hospital, the person that you're going to, I guarantee, isn't really concerned whether you preach camp meeting or not. They want to know, have you spent fellowship time with me? Because that's the real thing. That's significant. And when you walk in there, are you walking in the authority of what you've done in your own strength? Are you walking in the fellowship? of intimacy with me that allows you to invoke the authority of my name as a child of the king and declare that we can receive our healing in Jesus' name. Can somebody say amen? Because now I don't need to pastor 10,000 people. Now, if 10,000 people want to get saved tomorrow, and, and we'll, we'll, we want to expand the boundaries of the kingdom. And I wanted to be on the covers of magazines. You know what my significance is today at 50? Is not trying to be the most successful pastor in town. What my significance is right now is to find these young men and young women that have a call upon their life and guide them through an example of righteousness and stand on the sidelines and clap my hands and cheer them on and say, don't let anybody squash your dream. Don't you dream little like you've got a little bitty God. You dream big and, and believe that He can do where you fall short, He's going to make up the gap. I want to teach them that there's a righteous position that you can cheer somebody on and the ovation doesn't have to be about you but can be about them that's the kind of leadership you need to connect your dream to can somebody say amen there Joseph gets in charge of the prison and we see that the favor of God was upon him now God wants you to use your natural ability but folks if you ever get the choice of choosing natural ability or choosing the favor of God, please choose wisely and choose the favor of God. Because the favor of God will put you in positions you don't deserve. That your, that your behavior or your education or your reputation or the things that you've done the, to this point will not qualify you to stand in the position, but the favor of God will. That's, you say, well, pastor, give me a biblical example. A shepherd boy, 15 years old, does not deserve nor have the maturity to sit on the throne of Israel, but the favor of God can anoint his head with oil at 15, mature him until he gets to 30, that by the time he sits down on the throne, he is a reflection of the coming Christ. Amen? And so Joseph finds himself in prison and he's in charge. And when he's in charge, the Bible says that he, just go read it. I'm not going to read the, the scripture in Genesis 42 through 8. I'm just letting them upstairs know where I am in the outline. I wanted, because if you read that clearly, you'll find out that not only did these leaders um, leave responsibility and authority because of the favor of God on Joseph, but they didn't micromanage him. You know, you don't want somebody always looking over your shoulder, finding you want somebody to guide you but not hound you. Because some things you got to learn the hard way. Sometimes I try to take the pain away from everybody that's around me. But sometimes God isn't causing the pain, but He's using the pain to motivate them to a new position. 
and I'm trying to take it away. And he said, you're in my way, David. I don't want to have to knock you out of the way. So listen to me when you're praying and I'm giving you the opportunity to remove yourself because if you don't, I will. And I'm trying my best to say, okay, God, I got this one. I got to get them from from hurting. No, David, you don't have to get them from hurting. That's my responsibility. I didn't cause the pain, but I'm using it as a motivator to move them from where they were to where I got to have them in the next season of their life. So get out of the way and let it just to make its process. And Joseph starts into cell block A comes two new prisoners. And this is the irony of God is the two new prisoners come straight from the palace of Pharaoh. It's a butler and a baker. And both of them start having troubling dreams as soon as they get to the prison. And they're in in the same cell block as the dreamer that for 10 years has had a dream he thinks has now escaped him and it's too far gone and he's been caught in a position. And he keeps hearing these guys talk about the troubling nature of their dream. So God places two dreamers in the position of of a dream interpreter because he's not just a dream interpreter, he's a dreamer himself. Never just listen to somebody that has book knowledge. I didn't get enough amens there. You need to find somebody that has a little experience in what they've read about. See, we have the blessing of having a doctor in our midst. I, I love Dr. Joe, but Dr. Joe's a better doctor now than he was when he graduated from, from college because at college he was doing it under the supervision of somebody else. But when he gets out on his own, I don't want nobody operating on me that hasn't done it on their own yet. I want somebody with experience to look at my serious circumstances and look me in the eye and say, hey, I've done this before. You're going to be in good hands. And I'm a believer. And what goes beyond me, I'm going to stop in the operating room and pray and believe God will help me accomplish whatever. Now, that's a surgeon I can, I can, I can handle. That's somebody I can shoulder up to. I don't like people to come up and tell me, hey, pastor, I've read a book about pastoring and you need to do this. Well, when you've pastored, come give me the advice. Give me the book. I'll read the book that you read that inspired you. But here, Joseph, these guys are in the midst of a dreamer and a dream interpreter. And all of a sudden, he says to them, tell me the dream. Huh. What do you got to lose? Just here among prisoners. What you in for? Ah. Pharaoh got mad at me. What you in for? Well, long story. I'm a felon. (laughs) Yeah? All right, here's my dream. He tells Both of them tell him the details of the dream. And Joseph starts to interpret the dream. And he tells them both that their dream is connected to a three-day time period. And in three days, one of them is going to be restored. And in three days, one of them is going to be executed. And in three days, it happens exactly like Joseph said. Now, for this is the part I have to teach for a moment. If they will find that scripture, it is found in Genesis 40, 13 through 15. Joseph asks one request upon his interpreting the dream. It comes with one string attached. When you get restored back into the palace, remember who I am. 
give a good word to Pharaoh for me. And I want to read it to you because there's something important here that you have to understand for the altar service. It says, In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly. When you were his cupbearer, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do not do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. He's telling him, I don't deserve being here. I didn't really do anything. And I need you to remember me because I've got to get out of this pit. Well, brother, you're not in a pit, you're in prison. So there's a couple of things here. First of all, when you are suffering at the hands of other people, sometimes they will forget you, abandon you, and leave you in your moments of crisis and in your moments of, moments of greatest need. But God will never do what people do. Okay, God went to slavery with him and went to prison with him. Now... There's a lot of people that won't get into the pit with you and a lot of people that surely won't get into prison with you, but God will never leave you. And so for every person that hears my voice that says, Pastor, I know what it's like to feel forgotten. I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like to feel like the world is against me. I'm here to tell you, do not get tempted by the crisis going on in your life to finally concede the fact that you are standing alone. You are not standing alone ever in this lifetime because according to Psalms 33 and Psalms 34, the eyes of the Lord are always upon you and you are never in any of your positions in the pit or in prison that he is not with you. Somebody say amen. amen. And I'm going to have to... Can I borrow that pen for just a second? Thank you. Because I am so... Ever get, you ever get misrepresented in your identity? Like somebody gets a snapshot of you and you think that's who you are? Like my staff, they'll tell you, I'm long-suffering. I'm going to give this back. I'm long-suffering. But when I get finally to the point where we have to have a Sunday go to meeting, I can seem short. I can seem a little aggravated and a little frustrated and even a little angry, righteously. And I, I remind them of the thing that God does not heal. God does not heal stupid. We live through stupid. And I want to avoid that moment. And if Amy can get ready to play something. See, I, if, if you get frustrated with people misrepresenting you and I get frustrated with people misrepresenting me, wonder how God, if God was human, He would feel that way, but He is beyond human and doesn't get His feelings hurt. But I want to set the record straight according to God because good intended grandmas and mamas have misused this scripture in Psalms 33 and 34 by telling their teenagers, Don't you better be careful because God... God's got his eye on you. He's looking for you to mess up. And he's going to tell me if you mess up. And he will. He told my mom. But the intention of that scripture is not for you to feel like you're under a microscope and he's waiting with eyes to see you fail so he can grab his magic pen and his big old book of life and scratch your name out. No, the pen in his hand and the book on his arm is not for the purposes of you getting scratched out. It is for his eyes to be upon you and let you know he is with you everywhere that you are. And his purpose of the pen is not to scratch you out, but to write you in. But for everybody 
that has had a previous wound, this altar service is for you. Because if you don't get healed, I don't care if you change the people in your life, the root issue of your life will come back. Okay? Because here in Scripture, Joseph never got out of the pit that his brothers threw him in. According to Scripture, he has spent 10 years in a pit of betrayal. That his brothers assaulted him, beat him, stole his clothes, threw him into the pit, and he never got out of it. That's his own words. He's not in the pit anymore, but he tells that brother that's going back to the palace, I don't deserve to be in this pit. See, sometimes we are filtering our present situations and holding people accountable because of wounds somebody did back yesterday that we've never allowed God to deliver us from. And so they are touching nerves and scars that are wounds in our life. Maybe they caused them years ago or maybe they didn't cause them at all, but they are still held accountable to the rough areas and the sensitive areas of our lives because we've never allowed God to get in the pit with us. And even if we acknowledge that he was in the pit with us, we never gave him the right to get us out. But wherever you think you are and the desperation in which you presently sit, know this, he is with you and wherever he is, your dream is alive. It may be postponed. It may be delayed. It may have to tarry for a moment. But as long as you are with Him, you are one God moment away from getting healed. We have too many people praying to get out of the prison when God wants to get you out of the pit. Because if He can get you back to the prison, it's just a symptom. The prison's just, well, God, help me in my marriage because of this and that. And change that man and change that woman. Let her see my way and let him see him hit my, uh, my way as well. And, and, and it's all this. And God said, why don't we just change you? Why don't we get past the, the, the frustrations of the symptoms and let's get to the cause. And if we can get to the cause, we can handle some of the symptoms on its own. So here we go. This is where I get excited. Because when you finally let God into the pit with you, the cause of your dysfunction, you can be healed supernaturally and your dream can miraculously come alive. Now here's where I, I got revelation. Sometimes your dream isn't activated because the person connected to your dream hasn't dreamed their dream yet. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes your dream has not been activated because you have not been patient enough to allow the dream of somebody else to come into reality. Because the dream that got him into prison, another dream is going to get him out. The dream that started at 17 years old got him into slavery and then prison. But the dream of a Pharaoh is going to get him out. Listen to verse 41 or chapter 41. Then we're going to shout. Because somebody's going to get free from their pit today. It says this in chapter 41, verses 9 through 14. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. He's, he's admitting, I forgot the guy that told me to remember him. 
When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker into custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. And a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we... And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Get this now. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. And they quickly brought him out of what? Out of the pit. It should have said prison. But God wasn't worried about getting him out of his temporary circumstance. He wanted to go back 12 years ago to the abandonment and the issues of the wound that caused him to feel inadequate and insignificant and said, let's start here by getting you out of the pit of your yesterday so we can connect you to your future. And what we have to understand is last night, at 9.30, we think, our, we think our, our, our miracle and our dream is just on hold. And it's never going to happen because too much thing, too much water under the bridge. But can you understand that tonight, last night at 9.30, God could have been given that one person that you've been waiting for, that dream that was going to wake up this morning and say, I'm ready to move upon a dream that I felt God was with. And that dream is connected to you. Joseph would have never seen the outside of prison without Pharaoh having a dream. Why are you here today? Isn't because we do it any better than anybody else in town. It's because maybe somebody in this house, maybe this sermon, maybe it was the worship, maybe it was the baby dedication, maybe it was something that God, the Holy Spirit, was going to use at this moment to say, hey, I'm in the place with you and the dream that you thought was over there is actually over here and we just needed you to connect with the next person that was going to dream their dream. Because in a moment we're going to have people come up here to the altars and we're going to pray not to get people out of prison but to get them out of their pit. We don't want you to talk about the current circumstances that have produced the pain in this moment. We want you to go back into your heart and say, what started this mess to begin with? And let me find a God that can heal me and deliver me from a pit because I want my dream activated. Can somebody say amen? So would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and listen to the worship of this worship team before we invite our altars to be opened.